be getting started shortly. Can you guys hear me? Hello? Hello? I can't hear anybody, so I don't know. We should be getting started shortly. If y'all can hear me, somebody speak back to me because I can't hear anything anybody is saying. Is anybody's? I can see everybody on the line, but I can't hear anybody. Hello. Can you guys hear me? I can't, I don't hear anybody speaking back, so I want to make sure you can hear me because I, hello? Hello. Hey, let me see what the problem. Okay, can you Hello? Okay. Okay. 
I'll give it about another three minutes, and then we'll get started. Is um, Dr. Brown, you on the line? I don't see her arm yet, so get a few minutes. We'll start shortly because I'm waiting on the speaker to you. Dr. Brown, hello. you made it on. Hello. Yes, I, I, yes, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> I oh, had okay, the wrong I, <laughs> <laughs> I heard you talking earlier, but you couldn't hear me, so I hung up and tried to call again. <laughs> it was my fault. It was the uh, line was... <laughs> They changed the settings in my site that I mm-hmm. use, so I uh-huh. forgot to hit audio for everybody. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I thought I wasn't going to get mm-hmm. in for a while. It kept telling me I had the wrong number. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I hope to, uh, look, I'm hoping everybody else not having a problem. I hope they're not either. They're saying that PIN number is not um, the sh- That's what they call it. It's not correct. But... I kept doing I kept calling it and it came through. Oh, so I okay. hope they keep calling. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm starting probably a few, in a few more minutes, let a couple more people that I know supposed okay. to be on. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started this evening. Hello, all those that are joining us tonight. I appreciate your time and your diligence for coming on the line to hear what God has to say to us on tonight and to work through issues that some of us may be dealing with. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Hold on one second. I'm getting hit by other people (laughs) in the midst of trying to talk. Okay. Okay. 
Then we're going to go. Okay. Those that can, that's on the line besides uh, Dr. Brown, if you can, mute your phones. And then when we go into questions and stuff, to remember to unmute it. So I want to uh, start out tonight about tonight's topic. It's uh, concerning mental health because it is important that we have the right mental health in this day and age because a lot of times we work so much on our body but sometimes our mental capacity tends to to show up sometimes at the most inconvenient ways in our lives and sometimes we don't deal with these issues and sometimes we're afraid to talk about it in our churches because i don't know the reasoning why but um, we know the Lord, we have the Holy Ghost to help us, but also we got to bring things to the forefront in order for the Lord to step in and help us. So on tonight, our guest speaker is um, Dr. Gwendolyn Brown, and I'm going to tell you a little bit on how I met her. I met Dr. Brown through Evangelist Howard, the co-host, and she's not here tonight. She says she's going to try to sneak in when she can, if she's able to. She's at a... Um, conference tonight. So I met uh, Dr. Brown through Evangelist Howard. And in fact, we was invited to speak at a prayer conference at their church, her and her husband's church, because she is a first lady. And um, when we went there, it's amazing how God's divine connection is just some people you meet, you just know they're just genuine, you know. And that's the first impression about her, her and her husband. And and I'm me and my husband are so grateful that we have met them and and a continued relationship, hopefully continuously with them, the Lord's will. And um, I want her to tell a little bit more about her. But one thing I admire about her, she doesn't look her age at all. <laughs> she was very gracefully aging. I say when I get that age, I hope I look like that. But that's how good God is. <laughs> So with this being said, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Dr. Brown. Good evening, ladies. I consider it an honor and a privilege to be with you tonight. I am Evangelist Dr. Gwendolyn Brown, and I'm married to Superintendent Pastor Richard Brown, and we have five children, 13 grandchildren, and five great-grandchildren. So we are extremely blessed, and I am so godly proud of each and every one of them. First of all, I am a Christian counselor. I am also the pastoral counselor at our church as well as the First Lady. Like most counselors, I've realized that personal problems can come about because of physiological, social, environmental influences, and psychological pressures. I also believe that many problems can be inspired by nature and resulting in either not understanding biblical truth or from sinful behavior. I also believe that in individuals are created in God's image and can only feel complete and fulfilled through relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Thus, Christian counseling as opposed to other kinds of counseling that's very concerned with the spiritual as well as the emotional and physical needs of the client. The main goal of the Christian counseling, counseling, like the goal of Christian living, is to enable clients to move toward greater emotional and spiritual health by becoming more like Jesus Christ. 
As a Christian counselor, I am not limited psychological techniques or to my own human effort and wisdom. I believe that God is the real authority in counseling, and he gives us resources to change. I believe that counseling without the Jesus factor is as effective as applying a Band-Aid over a bacterial infested wound. I believe counseling should involve praying about the client's difficulties and looking to the authority of the Bible for guidance. In this way, I seek to encourage clients to build a dependency on God. The client can find forgiveness for the past, strength and comfort for the present, and hope for the future by trusting the Lord to daily meet needs and heal emotional wounds. I try to reflect the character of Jesus Christ and to love my clients as he does. While I do not try to force religion on my clients, I do urge them to develop a relationship with the only true healer of body, soul, and spirit, Jesus Christ. First, let's go into prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the opportunity and privilege to come before your people. Help me to speak with clarity and humility the words that you would have me to say. Touch each person that have called into this session and bless them to glean something that is said here tonight that will give them a better understanding. And if there be any that needs to be loosed and set free from anger, depression, all hurt, deep hurt, pain, sadness, grief, hatred, rage, bitterness, fear, and bound and blocked emotions. I command these spirits to come out and I decree freedom to their emotions in the name of Jesus. Amen. And we decree and declare that it is so. I've already said good evening. So with that, I would like to begin with the topic. The topic that I received was healing from past wounds and the importance of mental health. So I would like to begin with anger. Anger is an emotional state experienced by everyone, but difficult to define. Even babies get angry. Human anger is normal and not necessarily sinful. Human beings being created in the image of God and given emotions, including anger, this anger is necessary and useful for our emotions. It was seen in Jesus and is not sinful in and of itself. Human anger may result from faulty perceptions. God is perfect, omniscient, and always completely accurate in the way he sees things. However, human anger often leads to sin. Like other emotions, anger can be constructive, serving a useful purpose, or destructive. It can be Christ-honoring, or it can be sinful, because it is so easily led to sinful, harmful behavior. Anger often is condemned in the Bible. We are urged to turn away from anger, rage, and envy. Although it isn't wrong in itself, anger clearly can get out of control and cause a variety of problems, including vengeance, verbal and physical abuse, passive aggression, 
And as Christians, we are responsible for controlling our words. This is especially difficult when we are angry. Angry people do foolish things. We are warned to stay away from them lest we pick up their anger and become like them because anger is contagious. Example, a church business meeting. I'm sure we've all have been in attendance to business meetings and saw the anger and frustration that comes from the officers and members of the church, group sessions where a person feels that they have been treated unfairly, not given a position or a title by being passed over and given to someone else. So in effect, they will spread gossip about someone as a method of revenge. Some will even go as far as to threaten the pastor. We're talking about anger in the church. Human anger can be used for good. It is good to express anger if this will lead another person to repent and change for the better. This is a proper and healthy use of anger. So before I go on to the next one, is there any questions on anger? I might unmute your phones if you can. I'm sure people might have questions. Well, if not, then we're going to depression. (laughs) I chose depression because most people think that Christians aren't supposed to be depressed and even go as far as to call it sinful. Then I remembered a a sad story of um, a person whose name, a mother whose name was Andrea Yates. There had been mental illness in Andrea's family for years. Three or four of her siblings had been diagnosed with psychological problems, including depression. Her father suffered at times from depression and her mother was very negative, critical about everything and never happy. Andrea's depression came in the form of postpartum depression. Her father died and may have triggered a deeper depression called psychotic depression. Someone has suggested that most of our days are three kinds on mountaintop days. Everything is going well and the world looks bright. These experiences are temporary. They don't go on forever. It is unrealistic to expect, as some people do, that we can spend life leaping from one mountain peak to another as if there were no plains or valleys in between. Most of life consists of ordinary days when we work at our usual tasks, either elated or depressed, neither elated nor depressed. Then there are the dark days with this confusion, doubt, discouragement, and sometimes despair. These days may be occasional, or they may string together into months or even years before there is brighter out, a brighter outlook and a sense of relief. When the dark days persist, there are days of depression. In the U.S. alone, it is estimated that 17 million people suffer from clinical depression. In many cases, the syndrome of depression hides anger that has not been expressed. 
Primary depression occurs by itself, while secondary depression of some medication, the influence of one's diet, or the results of an illness like cancer, diabetes, or even influenza. To prevent depression, number one, we will say, as David in Psalms 43 and 5, why am I discouraged? Why am I so sad? And then wrote, I will put my hope in God. Number one, trust in God. Number two, understand the nature of depression. Learn skills for dealing with depression. Learning to handle anger, stress management skills. Learning to control and change self-defeating thoughts. Find networks of support. Reach out for others and keep physically fit. That is basically all that I brought tonight. There are so many aspects of mental illness that we could talk about tonight, but they will go into a lot of fields that um, I don't think we have time to talk about tonight. So I thought that perhaps that I would relinquish over to you so that you can ask questions about these topics. So the first one was anger, and the second one was this was depression. So any any questions that you have, ask it as of right I'm, now. This uh, Pastor, now I had a question that did come in, and it talks about mm-hmm. anger. Um, mm-hmm. In regards to anger, what are some methods of handling this emotion when we feel that others seek to take you and your kindness for weakness? How you get upset because people tend to just walk over you? They taking your your kindness for your weakness and how you control that anger from, I guess, lashing out at them. Well, as a Christian, and that's what we're talking about tonight, mm-hmm. we as Christians are told in the Bible that we should not lash out in anger, mm-hmm. that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen, and that we should take the pause and take time to think about uh, what are the person that's lashing out at you? Maybe you have a different perspective of what they are trying to get over to you than they, what they are really trying to say. So think mm-hmm. about it for a moment. And then we're to, with love, ask the question. You know, if, if we ask why are they angry, if they seem to be angry, they might not be angry. They might just want to exert their authority and, and try to prove that they uh, have more knowledge of a certain situation of a uh, uh, problem or something that then you know. So then by talking and discussing the issue, you can come up to a, uh understanding that uh, the person really wasn't angry. Sometimes we just perceive people to be angry. And sometimes when their voices are elevated or when they're using, I'm going to say curse words, we know they're angry. But sometimes when their voices are elevated, they could just be excited about what we're talking about and we assume and interrupting and we assume that they're angry and they may not be. But as Christians, we're supposed to step back and take the low road and let them go on and do say what they have to say. And then we can come back to them later or we can call them, you know, and ask them, was there a problem with something I said or did, you know, 
and we can come to a conclusion that maybe uh, they misunderstood you or misunderstood me. I've often had uh, problems that people misunderstood what I was trying to tell them. And they became angry because they felt like you were trying to belittle them or put them down. Or maybe you felt like they were trying to belittle you or put you down and they actually really weren't. Did that answer your question? Yes. <laughs> that did answer my question. <laughs> and I also, you said um, depression. The thing is, like, you mm-hmm. with, um, I noticed with people in the church a lot of times, they don't want to talk about when they're going through and their depression and their issues. They go to their leaders sometimes, but yet when they go, they don't expose everything. But yet they keep going in these cycles. How in the world, like if they're going to come out of depression, what are some of the steps that they need to take to really get over this and and really get delivered from it? And see, in that you just gave the key word, deliverance. A lot of times we come into the church with all of these different baggages, baggage, and then we come in and we expect that we're going to change but we don't want to reveal what's really going on with us. And sometimes we mask it with other things. And sometimes it's so deeply engrossed in, in our bodies that we can't really talk about it. It's too hurtful to talk about. And so we mask it with something else. And then we find out that what we're really angry about is not what we're talking about. But when we get to the root of the problem, by counseling, and, and most times people just need counseling. They need to go to the pastor. The pastor is a counselor, but some pastors are not equipped. They haven't been trained to, to um, counsel. Uh, they, some of the uh, problems that people have that are, that are so angry today and that are so depressed that uh, they pray for you, but they really don't know what the root of your problem is. And so you really need a Christian counselor. And, and, and I, just, I hate to say this, but most of us have never gone to a counselor. We didn't feel the need because we feel like we can take care of the problem ourselves. And so we go in the church and we pray and others pray and, and we leave out of the church the same way we came in. We still have all this baggage. We still have all these problems that we walked in with, but we've got to be able to talk. Communication is so important. We've got to communicate our, our problems to our Christian counselors, our pastoral counselor, our pastor. In my church, my pastor, which is my husband, and I am the pastoral counselor, and we counsel together. Yeah. Uh, we, he's more of the spiritual part of it, and and I come with the counseling part of it. So we are able to get to the root of the problem, you know, and help them to see what the problem really is. And that's basically uh, what we try to do every time we counsel with, one, with uh, different clients, is to pull them out, to get them to come out of their shell and talk about what's really bothering them. And sometimes they don't know what's bothering them. They have buried it so deeply inside that they think it's one thing when it's really something else. So we both, by prayer, by reading scriptures, by giving them scriptures to read, 
by talking about different situations and aspects. And one thing I know about counseling, when you're talking with a person and you can look in their eyes and you can tell whether or not that person is depressed, they may not know it. They may not know that they're depressed, but you can look in their eyes and you can see that depression. You can see that glossed over look. You can see that far away look in their eyes. And, and, and the, all you can do is pray and ask God to give you the wisdom to draw that person out. And the real problem that's bothering that person, and that person can begin to, to talk about it and to communicate. And when they hear themselves talking about their problems, then they begin to understand that that's really not what's wrong with me. And we can go all the way back to childhood when mother and they were angry with their mother, angry with father, you know, and those things even have followed them to adulthood. And they're, and they're just beginning to realize, you know, that they can get uh, help even for that, that, that has bothered them since they were a child. They can get over, they can get past that, and then they can move on. Hello. Anybody else? <laughs> Anyone else have a question? Is there any um, questions that you may have? Because I can keep going asking questions. So I want to allow y'all a chance to ask a question before I step in and start asking more questions. So go ahead. Make sure your phones are unmuted. Hello? But this is the time to ask the questions because a lot of times I get off the line and people start asking afterwards. So <laughs> there's no dumb question, there's no embarrassing questions. We have a professional here to answer questions that you may have. So this is the time to um, ask the question. Anyone? And you know that's what we find in most cases that people don't want to talk about what's bothering them. And I hate to say this, but we as a black people yes, have been told from childhood that we have through the years carried that perception of speaking to counselors or anyone that we're not familiar with, and I understand that. And, and that's what this line is for, so we can get to those issues so we don't keep having repeated cycles and problems and things. And like you say, in the community, I don't know what all races on here, but I know in the African-American <laughs> community, you are so right. Yes. And I asked people and said them by seeing a counselor. I, and and the question they say is like, I ain't crazy. And people think <laughs> you crazy when you have to go to a counselor. It has nothing to do with being crazy. It has That's had right. good help. Just like when you when you break your leg or you got ailments going on in your body, you go to the hospital, you go to the trained professionals. Same way That's when right. you're dealing with deeper scarred issues, like for instance, abuse growing up or abusive relationship or like you said, growing up in a home that was not the proper type of home. We fail to realize a lot of those things carry on when we are adults. That's right. 
when we get in relationships and get married, those things tend to come out as well because we never exactly. dealt with the mm-hmm. We just want That's it. right. And and even in the church, we have a question. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so um, I want to know specifically too, like um, because I'm I'm a divorced woman and I do plan to be married again one day. Um, I know when I was married, my ex-husband always um, I knew that he and I both needed counseling. But he never wanted to go. He always said, well, I don't need counseling. I can talk to the Holy Spirit. You know, the the Holy Spirit is my counselor. I don't have to go to a counselor. And I knew that he really needed to go sit down because he had suffered abuse um, as a child and was molested. And, and, you know, he just had a lot of stuff he was carrying around. And my question is, you know, going forward, like, say, for instance, I, I, I do get married again, and the guy says that he doesn't need counseling, but I know, how, how do you talk someone into or, or, or having them understand that they still may need to go down, go and sit down with a physical person and actually seek counseling and not allow it to be an excuse of, well, oh, I got, I, I, I'll let the Holy Spirit. Because I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't counsel us. It's not, definitely not taken away from the powers of the Spirit. But there right. may be instances where you really need to go and sit down with a, a person that has been trained and, and it, you know, preferred a, a Christian counselor. And I feel that sometimes it's hard to talk people into that when, when you know, especially if, especially if they are one of those people that want to be super religious but they don't want to. They they don't understand that they need to go and seek seek counseling from you know a person, a physical person. I understand what you're saying, and that's one of the biggest problems trying to get men to come to counseling. The the women will notice and know that there is a problem and want the help, but they can't get their husbands or their future husbands to come. And, and premarital counseling is very important. Before you marry anyone, it, you ought to be able to um, get them to come to your pastor or his pastor, whoever, whoever you all trust, uh, a Christian counselor, to um, talk about the, uh, the things that's going to come up in your marriage. And, the, and there are different problems when, the sec- when it's a second marriage than when it's a first marriage. So both of you need to be together and talk with the council so you can see the problems that never comes up while you're communicating with one another. You don't think about uh, the children from the the first marriage or um, uh, children. Both of you could have children, and and that's a a combined family that comes together, and and you have different set of problems than you have when you're marrying without children. Plus, you have the significant others, the ex, and they're wounded, and they're a part of the family, and all of the other issues that you could have that will not come up when when you're not going to when you haven't gone to a counselor to uh, sit down and talk about these things. It's very important. So, if when you say, "How can you get him to come?" Well, you're going to have to get him to come, but it's it's easier when he wants to come on his own because usually when they come, when somebody has to 
force them or entice them to come. They're sitting there and they're closed. It's hard to counsel with someone that's closed-minded. And they won't receive the counseling because they feel like you pick the counselor. They're just coming to satisfy you. They're not really coming to uh, improve your relationship and make certain that God is the center of this marriage. And then when you say that uh, he's so spiritual, even pastors need counseling. There are pastors that receive uh, counseling from Christian counselors. Because even though they're in church and you never see the, the anguish on their face or you never see the depression, which they can get also, and uh, they need someone that they can talk to that they about their, their church, the, the people in the church. You know, there's so many different types of spirits in the church that the pastor can become overwhelmed. So they need to talk to somebody. You can't get too spiritual where you can't talk to a spiritual counselor and advisor. And some of them have friends that they have counseled with. But um, if they refuse to have counseling, I don't know if I would um, walk into that marriage without it. Oh, absolutely. I would never, um, I would never, and, and that was definitely a mistake with the first one. We never um, went to have um, premarital counseling. And mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. at that time, I was very young and was definitely mm-hmm. older than I was. And this was his mm-hmm. second marriage. So, um, uh-huh. When I look back on it, that he was a he was a very you know spiritual person. It just seems mm-hmm. to me that he would have found that to be important, and it should have also been important to my right. But, um, right, I, right, right. You know, going going in the, going forward, that I would never walk down the aisle or enter into any uh, type of marriage with someone that was not willing to come and sit down and and go through premarital counseling. Right, right. That's the best thing you can do for yourself and your future marriage. Right. Any other questions? I have a question. Just speaking for, like, I guess young women of my age, because I know we don't really just speak and speak a lot. So, like, Say you're on your twenties. Like I know, I know for a fact. Like me following to God. Like I know that's what I need to. Be, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I'm doing. But when, like, it's, it's I feel like it's really easy for distractions to come in, and like then, like I start feeling like dealing, like like you said. Like, for instance, you said anger. We deal with anger even from when it's like from our childhood or depression from when it was our childhood. So how how would you say someone like of like from like teenage to like maybe to their thirties, how how would you think that a woman should like know that she probably she needs counseling? I don't know, I guess that's what I'm kinda answering. I didn't really understand what you were saying because I couldn't hear you that well, but um I think you were saying, teenage, uh, these millenniums, are you one of those? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) ma'am. I have, oh, God, my grandchildren that I'm counseling with, 
and I know that uh, they, I'm not going to say they, I'm not going to say you. I know that they think that they know everything. And grandmother right. can't really tell them, <laughs> tell them, but you know, I know them really well and I'm praying for them. And I also counsel with them. And what I've, what I've done with them also is that um, I have a, a, a list of questions that I give them to try to determine what their temperament is because I'm a temperament counselor also. So you have to first understand a person's individual um, uh, thought process. They're um, in, uh, in inclusion and control and, uh, and affection. So once I've found that out, I can bring them in and talk to them about that. And I can tell them basically what they're thinking and how they think with, with, those, with those questions that I give them. So once I can convince them that I know exactly how they think because I know their temperament, then I can get them to open up and they can, they'll talk freely and they can understand uh, what I'm trying to tell them better. Other than that, they think they know better of what's good for themselves and other people. And they're the hardest ones to reach. But I have, I have some questions and I wish I could uh, see you one-on-one and give you those questions, and I can convince you that I know just what you're thinking. So, um, I'll make sure I get you for you. Beg pardon? I can get the information and send it to you for information. Oh, oh but I really need to uh, give her some questions, and I really can't give them to her over the phone. Yeah. Or, yes, because they're so. They're personal yeah. to me, and I wouldn't like that information mm-hmm. to be out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but I know how hard it is to try to counsel with millennials because, <laughs> like I said before, they really believe that they know what's best for them, and they don't really take – they take exception to someone trying to tell them what they need to do. And as a counselor, I don't help people. I don't make decisions for people. I'm, I talk and lead them up to and give them all the information they need. And then they can make the proper decisions for themselves. But I need the information. Did you understand what I was saying? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Anyone else on the line that have a question? Well, I'll jump in and ask. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid. They'll feel comfortable. I have, you don't I have, have to give. Or ask. Right um, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hello? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yes, yeah, so um, I, I, that question that Pastor Neil had um, asked in the beginning about anger, I was the person that had asked that. And mm-hmm. I, I asked that because of the fact that uh, I, I'm even into adulthood, even because I'm 38, so even to um, me being 38, sometimes I really feel bad, like when people take my kindness for weakness because I'm naturally a very sweet person. And mm-hmm. I've always struggled with people, you know, 
thinking that because I'm sweet that that necessarily means mm-hmm. that I'm I'm a weak person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh a lot of times it does cause me to be angry. It doesn't I don't I don't lash out at people. I don't think I have a problem with lashing out or anything like that. But I know mm-hmm. that a lot of times that I internalize it because it's like why should I have to change myself? And I know that I don't have to change myself, but it, it, it's one of those things where you struggle with it, and it, where you struggle with it as far as how to even deal with it as far as people just thinking that they can take advantage of you because you're a nice person and that you're not, you know, naturally a mean, cold-hearted person that takes no one, no one else's um, feelings into consideration. So I know there's probably other people that feel that way too. And, you know, it really doesn't matter the age or anything, but I just want to know how to really, how to really process that and how to really go forward and not internalize it so much or make it be a thing of, well, you, that's something you really need to work on. You know, you got to, you got to really work on not being so nice and not being mean to people, but maybe, you know, being a little bit more, I don't know. I, I really don't know how to say it, but I, I do need help in that area. But you said something very important. Do not internalize your anger. It only builds up and compounds itself. And then it, it, even if the person you're talking to it could be your boss. It could be a friend or someone that's take, trying to take advantage of you because you're in a position where you can't lash out or you're in a position where they know that you want lash out at them. So uh, try to get to the person and let them know that they made you angry and let them know you're angry. It's nothing wrong with you being angry. The Bible says you can be angry, but sin not. So you let them know what they said and what they did that caused you to be angry. And, and, and then you can find out if it was intentional, uh, if uh, they accidentally or didn't realize that, that they made you angry. They, if you don't say anything, if you hold it in, they're going to assume that it's okay. It's all right to talk to you in that manner. But if it makes you angry the way they're talking to you, let them know that. Speak up. Don't don't internalize it. Because what you'll do is, instead of telling that person, you'll hold it in, and maybe you'll go home, and I don't know if you're married or not, but, but and, and, and then take the anger out on your husband or your children. And it's really not it, but it's something somebody else did. So the best thing to do is when you find yourself getting angry, um, you said you don't lash out, and that's good. But do not uh, internalize that anger and, and go to that person and let that person know that they, and don't tell them they hurt your feelings. Tell them you're angry. It's the difference between hurt feelings and anger. So tell them that they may, hey, sometimes it's okay to say, you, you made me mad. I'm mad. So that they can really understand your, that they really uh, owe you an apology or they need to sit down and, both of you need to sit down and talk about it and explain to them. I'm nice, I'm sweet, but I don't I'm not a floor mat for you to walk on. And and I do have feelings just like everyone else. All of us have been angry at some time or another. I used to have a real bad anger problem. But 
because I was so vocal about it, I had to pray and ask God to help me to uh, do it in a manner, in a Christ-like manner, in a Christian manner. And that's what I developed, but it's a process. It's not an overnight thing. It's a process. And so eventually I learned to refrain from outbursts or refrain from, from speaking to people in an angry tone and let them know, uh, you know what, uh, what you said really made me angry or what you did really made me angry. And uh, if they say, well, I'm sorry and I apologize, then I can forgive them. Now, we have to be ready to forgive. I can forgive them for that, and we can move on with an apology. And even if they don't uh, apologize, you still have to stand ready to forgive. And then we take it to we take it to God, and we ask God, you know, to give us the grace and the mercy, first of all, to forgive them. Forgive them, because if we don't forgive them, He won't forgive us. We have to understand that's a two way street, and we want forgiveness. So we always have to be ready to forgive, even if the per- person doesn't ask for forgiveness. But we need to let them know. Was that, did you understand that? Did I miss something? <laughs> Hello? No, thank you. You, went, uh, you answered it. No, I said, no, thank you. You answered it. Um, oh, exactly. Okay. What I needed to well, I'm glad because I had I had a problem of speaking too fast, too quick, in anger, and I see you you at least you weren't bursting out in anger, and I would I would stop someone right away immediately. Wait, you can't talk to me in that manner. I don't accept that, and you know we have choices now, and so when we find ourselves around a lot of negative people, and I think I I talked about that earlier. Sometimes we have to remove ourselves from their presence because, like I said earlier, anger is contagious. And when you're around a lot of angry people, that anger will fall off on you. And you find that's why mobs and and people can come together and incite other people to become angry and do things that they shouldn't do. It only takes one person. But sometimes we need to let that person, and sometimes people like to bully other people, too, because they know they won't say anything. So you have to be careful with that and don't internalize it. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Dr. Brown, you also talked about being uh, around toxic people that's always complaining about everything. (laughs) <laughs> negative <laughs> yes I mean uh, if go ahead did you finish uh-uh go ahead I don't know anything worse than being around negative people negative people pull you down they change your whole demeanor mm-hmm. <laughs> they cause you to they cause you to be depressed if they're depressed and you're talking to somebody that's depressed all the time, you end up depressed. You need to be with people that's uplifting and encouraging. Find somebody like that to be around. Even when you're down, they can pull you up. You don't want people pulling you down. And and and, and, and really, it's, it's their problem. It's not yours. So if you're taking it on, God didn't ask you to take on all of that. Sometimes 
we need to tell people, you need to take that to God. I am not mm-hmm. God, and I can't allow you to dump all of that on me. I took my problems to God, so I didn't have to worry about them. So I'm not going to allow you to bring all of yours to me. So sometimes even that, people get the idea that they can't bring all that confusion and, and negative uh, expressions and thoughts to you because you just don't want to be involved in it. Gossip is another one. We have to tell these people. You know, they will come to us with all kinds of mess and junk, and we'll find that we're, next we're thinking about it. We're talking about it. That's not the things that the Bible tells us to talk about and to think about. So when we go to Ephesians 4 and 8, then we learn how we're supposed to think. We learn what we're supposed to talk about and think about and read about and meditate on so we can keep our spirits up. People will bring us down and cause us to be depressed. And, it, and, and depression is real. And everybody has become depressed at one time or another. And you can, if you're a Christian and you're in the word of God, you can feel depression coming upon you. You can feel anger coming upon you. Because the, the spirit will let you see it. The spirit will let you feel it. And, and then you have the power to change how you think. You have the power to change your thought process. I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to feel this way. And, and, and you can meditate on God's word. Remember Ephesians 4 and 8. And you can say it to yourself. And then you can sing a song that's inspiring and change your whole mood. But basically, we got to uh, separate ourselves from these kind of people. And I got another question. Um, most time when people need counseling, I think is we'll counsel them as what we can, and then we feel like further counseling, I tell them a Christian counselor. How, what are your thoughts on, like, I disagree with it, but I guess, how you have some people that are anti-depressant to cope, Christians. What is your take on that? Well, sometimes people have been medicated so going to secular counselors, and they mm-hmm. have sent them to doctors that have put them on medication. They come into the church with this medication, and they are mm-hmm. already on it. So when they start trying to take themselves themselves off this medication, you have a bigger problem than you had if you had started with that person before they had taken the medication. But sometimes they need to take the medication and then come to the Christian counselor so that they can at least listen and they can at least uh, be rational, uh, um, you know, in, and not um, excited or um, yeah. distracted. You know, so many things that the, the, the presence is supposed to keep them calm and whatever they at least be calm enough for you to talk to them and, and help them to ration things out and understand what's happening to them. And after prayer, much prayer, and, and, and um, bringing them to, getting them to come to prayer service and, and to Bible study and getting deeper into Bible study, and eventually they'll find themselves getting off of those depressors. But they shouldn't try to do that on their own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you and nowadays you see even 
a lot of Christians which that that use that as a coping mechanism, which I understand. But to me, it's good, like you say, go to a Christian counselor so they can be calm enough. You can hear what's going on. But at the yeah. same time, a lot of some of them use it to mask without dealing with reality. On getting, but to that's the exactly what they do. <laughs> that's exactly why they're taking it so they can get rid of what's causing the problems that they feel is the problem and they're stressed out most of the time there and sometimes it's from childhood you know and yeah. they never learned to cope with life or reality and so they went to the doctor and the doctor put them on the medication mm-hmm. and then they come to church but I found that uh I would never advise anyone to stop taking any medication that the doctors have put them on, but mm-hmm. I would advise them to take their medication, but come to counseling. Yes. And while, yeah, and then maybe you can counsel with them long enough so that um, they can understand that God has everything they need. He supplies everything and in their mind. Their, their, the doctors can only minister to their body, their physical needs, but mm-hmm. it's God, the Holy Spirit, that ministers to your spirit and your soul. And so you're only being ministered partly and not, not, uh, not, you are not being given the whole ministry. So only they can minister to the body, but God, the Holy Spirit ministers to the spirit and the soul. So you're still mm-hmm. a part of a, a, a individual. You're not whole. You're never. You never can become whole just taking medication. Mm. So dealing like people that have dealt with things in their past, whether it be growing up in homes or or whatever causes, do you normally tell them? You know, they face it and kind of like go to the individual who have a have offended them all these years and caused this stuff to, you know, Lisa, I forgive you, so they acknowledge the wrong that they have done? Um, I don't really understand what the question is. Can you say that again? Uh Uh-huh. Say you have people that grow up like in homes. Say whether it was Mm -hmm. abuse from a parent, where it's physical, Mm -hmm. verbal, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When they get to a, a a maturity stage to where they're stable and they're mm-hmm. healing from all that, mm-hmm. do they go back and, and confront that issue with whoever it was, whether it be a, a parent or, or a family member? Do they go back and confront that to heal? It's not necessary for them to do that because some mm-hmm. in some cases those people have some of them have already died and left, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah. but the healing begins when you can take it to God and God gives you that peace and, 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 and forgiveness that you need because sometimes we blame ourselves for the things that have happened to us in our childhood. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we can confess these things and, and get that peace and, and love from God, then we can forgive whoever it was that offended us or molested, because there are so many young girls, and I'm just saying girls, I know it happened to boys too, but Mm -hmm. since we are women, have been molested by family members. 
some by their fathers, uncles, close friends of their, their uh, fathers or uncles or what have you. And they were too embarrassed and, and too young to even know what was happening to them. So mm-hmm. they didn't tell anybody. They kept it to themselves. And they grew up with carrying all this baggage into adulthood. And so what they have to do is find that relief from God. And when and they can take it to God and God relieve them of it and then they can forgive that person. God gives them a peace. They don't no longer have to go to that person and let mm-hmm. them know what they did. They know what they did if they're still alive. Mm-hmm. They know what they did. But yeah. when you can forgive them and treat them as if they didn't do anything. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's what a part of this Me Too um, thing is today. With all of these mm-hmm. women coming forth saying that they were molested and raped and all of this. And, it's, and, and they seem like they, it takes that to set them free. They're still not free. Even though they're telling it, you know, even though the people that that did it to them are not even uh, taking the responsibility for it. They're not even Mm -hmm. admitting that it happened. They're not asking for forgiveness. They're not doing any of that. And so they're just bringing the rage that was in them when they were younger. And and then Mm they are, um, some of that anger has been, transformed and and passed on to other innocent men in their lives and people, you know. So Mm -hmm. actually, actually, if you can take that to God and release that pain and that hurt, I prayed for that tonight, and release that pain and that hurt that you've been carrying for so many years, Mm -hmm. some months, some days, then, then you can find that peace and solace in your heart to forgive that person. But if after then, if you want to go and, and confront the person, then that's you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but once you find that peace, that peace and that solace, I don't think you feel like it's necessary, yeah. you know. But uh, if you want, I mean, there's so many lawsuits and stuff out there. Some people may want to get <laughs> their part of their share of the money too. But um, okay. it it's opened up a lot of hurt feelings, mm-hmm. a lot of emotions, a lot, but I'm interested in that person that, that was that was assaulted and humiliated and raped and mm-hmm. whatever. I'm interested in them. I'm not interested in the people that they're accusing yeah. because they yeah. know they if they did that, they know they did that, but that person needs some peace. That person mm-hmm. needs some solace in their heart, some forgiveness, you know, and, and until they find that, they're going to always carry it. Yeah, that's so true. So I know we're getting ready to close out. I have one more, and then we're done. Unless somebody else had a quick question. In our churches, what are some of the things that we can do, like pastors and also just laymen? What can we do as a as a church? To more bring awareness, let people know it's okay. Like you say, you can look at people and know mm-hmm. they're dealing with some things. They don't even have to open their mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yet you're trying to get them to open up because sometimes God will give you stuff, but you say, okay, Lord, I'm waiting to good time to say something, you know. But how can we just make that aware? It's okay to go, go you're going through what you're going through. 
but it's okay to ask for help. I'm struggling. I'm about to, you know, uh, uh, give up, you know. How can we really reach people, not just in a church, but people we encounter on a day-to-day basis dealing with this stuff and just mask it? How do we approach it? That's right. And that's a problem, too. People are not just going to ordinarily open up to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even in the church, I've had young women that come and sit down and talk with me. And basically because their parents wanted them to come. Because Mm -hmm. they wanted to come. But see, you have to be seeking and searching for the relief for yourself. You need to be looking for a solution. and, and, And if you want it, you'll find it. But if somebody else wants it for you, then I don't think it's going to be that productive. Because I had a young lady that come to me before her father made the appointment, and she came anyway. I guess she did it as a favor to him. And uh, she sat in front of me, and I just looked in her eyes, and I could tell that she was there under duress. Mm. And um, <laughs> and I said, um, you know, we just I asked her how she was feeling and everything, and um. What does she want to talk to me about? She said, um, I really don't have anything to talk about, you know, because she wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And then she told me after I kept, you know, giving her leading questions, she said, well, I want to do what you guys are doing. And by you guys, she met me and my husband. <laughs> I said, do, do, do what? <laughs> I want to. I want a pastor because um, all of my friends are, are, are ministers and pastors. Mm. And I was looking in her eyes, you know, and I knew that really wasn't what she wanted to talk about. I said, I, yes, uh-huh. I said, um, sweetheart, I said, um, you have two children. I said, and your ministry is in your home. You have uh-huh. two children and she wasn't married and they were small. They were both under 10 years of age and they were girls. Uh, Your ministry is in your home. You need to be there with those small girls and teaching them and covering them and protecting them. That's your job. Well, I don't see why I can't do what you guys are doing. But, you know, I let her say what she had to say and I knew that it was impossible for me to reach her because she wasn't there. For a solution, mm-hmm. and I knew, and I knew another thing too, that wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. And so I, her father came to me, and I told him, I said, "Well, you need to talk to your daughter because she didn't really want to open up to me, but maybe she'll open up." Well, she won't talk to me. I said, "Well, then we have a problem because I'm not going to counsel with her unless she wants to counsel with me, mm-hmm. because then I believe I can lead her into." where she can understand what her real problem was. And I knew her real problem was she wanted to get married because mm. her sister was married. <laughs> but she already mm. had two out being married. And so mm. events, so, so she went off and, and you know, they, she had this problem going on. She, she, she lost her job. She moved out of the city, moved into an apartment, and came back pregnant again. The mm-hmm. real underlying problem was that she wanted to get married. She wanted a husband. And so she just mm-hmm. accepted a man. 
Mm. And that compounded her problem. So you understand, it, um, yeah. unless people are really searching, unless they're really seeking, and in this day and time, it, it's so hard to get people to understand that they really need to talk. They really need mm. to communicate with somebody, not just Jane and Sally and Sue and all those people out there that they want to tell all their business to, and the next thing you know, it's all over the church, it's all out in the mm-hmm. street. But but Christian councils have ethic, ethic codes, you know, that they have to speak with you in, in private, you know, and, they, and keep that confidential, you know, and the pastors have the same code. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so so they shouldn't feel afraid to go to them, you know, but they they tell all their business to everybody and then come to you. Come yep. I want, this is the, uh, I'm telling you this in confidence. You mm. can't be confidential with me when you've told everybody else already what all your business and then want to accuse me of doing it. <laughs> That's the truth. And we get that in the church. People will come after everybody else and do the business. <laughs> and we know, but we just don't say nothing. And yes, then it comes yes. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, like you say, the importance of going to the right people when you going through and have yes. really serious yes. issues. You cannot open yourself up to put your business no, you out can. there. Even no, friends, a lot of people say, oh, that's my bestest friend. But as my husband said, your friend got a friend too. Until they get angry with you. (laughs) Until they get angry with you, then it's vengeance. (laughs) Yes, like you say, having a cold where you, someone you know that has a cold, Mm -hmm. where they cannot go and tell what you're That's right. That's right. But they don't understand that it's close to that, you know. So I, I, I sometimes have these little group sessions at church, you know, and I try to make them aware of, of the Christian counseling and the purpose of it, you know, and 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 it, what's available to them. You know, they don't really know that it's available. Yeah, and and in the church, I, I believe we as the body of Christ as a whole has to do better in educating yes, the do. people. As well. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I know I've You've been taught growing up, oh, just stay at the altar, stay at the altar, just stay at the altar. And I'm like, yeah, you stand at the altar, you crying and all this other stuff, but ain't nothing changing because there was nothing changing. Being spoken out. And that's the thing that people in the church, we really got to really look at people. And God gives us discernment to know what folks really, really need. That's right. And we That's right. More than more because there's right. too much going on and so much is coming up against people. Mhm. Mhm. More I, than anything in today's time, we need counseling in the church. Yes. We need it. Yes. Our people need it. Our young people need it. Our old people yes. need it. Yes. But it's yes, but yes. in most not even available and some pastors don't want it in their church. They don't want people to come in there and reveal some of the things that's going on in the church. Wow. Mm -mm -mm. We have got to do a better job at that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But I'm so glad that you brought it out. Like I told you, you have your finger on the button. 
and, and, and some, so many things can come out, so many blessings, so many people can get delivered if they could only mm-hmm. just trust. First of all, they need to trust God, and then they need mm-hmm. to trust the man and woman of God, you know, and, 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 and know that there is help. There is a solution for all this pain and hurt that they're packing mm-hmm. and carrying around for years, for ages, you know, that they can be released and loosed. And they mm-hmm. can begin to live their life. Yes. Because most, most people don't even know who they are yet. They've masked themselves so much that they've changed their whole character because of what's happened to them in their past. They don't, they're not mm-hmm. even operating in, in the position that God called them to be. So true. So true. And then as a leader, you see that potential in them and you ask them. And yes. It's like rebellion. You get rebellion. I don't want, I'm like, yes. okay. Yes. Like, okay. <laughs> yes. And they're never really fulfilled. They never mm-hmm. really find that peace and fulfillment that they're searching so desperately for and they don't know how to get it. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So true. So true. So, so at this point, I guess no other questions, and we'll um, close out. So, no one else? Okay. Well, I guess that's it for tonight. <laughs> uh, Dr. Well, thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> I truly, truly appreciate you being on the line with us tonight. And Chuck will bug you again. But <laughs> it was very informative to all that was on the line, and not only to the women on the line, but myself as well as a leader on what to look for and what we need to do to bring the awareness mm-hmm. in our churches and stuff so people can get the healing, the true healing that yes, they need. Yes, yes, yes. You know. Yes. With that, do you mind closing us out this evening, tonight? No, no, I don't. Father, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, thank you tonight for the healing that went forth tonight, for the understanding that went forth, oh God. Father God, we ask that you touch each and every one that's listening, that in the sound of my voice, Lord God, that you just touch their hearts, their minds, Lord. We need a healing. Change, oh God, we need a transformation, Lord God. Touch tonight, Lord God. Let them know that it's okay, Father God, for them to talk about their pain, talk about their hurt, communicate it, Father God. Comfort, oh God, that it be loose tonight. Every pain, every hurt, Lord God. Oh God, we ask that people that suffering tonight, Lord God that they be healed in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I just thank you for the opportunity to share your word with your people tonight. Father, bring them a peaceful rest on tonight. Give them free sleep on tonight. Let them know that there is a bomb in Gilead. There is healing, Father God, for the hurt and the pain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. You have a blessed night. And you too. And everyone that's here tonight, God bless you. And good night. God bless you.